Hello, all you lovely listeners. It's your girl Mary Jane Provost here. I wanted to thank you all very much for supporting today's listener-supported episode. <laughs> no, this is not a public radio or NPR. NPR would never want anything to do with this fabulous program. That's how refined we are here. I want to do this little intro because this is an archived episode. You're going to notice um, this was before I came out, so I'm still going by Harmony Parker. And this is also back when the amazing Mr. Lovely was my co-host. So things have changed, but this episode is a beautiful look into the past, a whole like a month and one week ago. Very honored to have uh, my good, good friend, mostly on Twitter, Katie Stone joining us this episode was cuckoo for cuckoo puffs um yeah that i i didn't mess up just then i meant to say cuckoo puffs uh for those you sticklers out there thinking i had an error confusing the cereal has the word cocoa in it for cuckoo no that was a play on words and i knew what i was doing but that is the alternative title for today's episode for those of you keeping track those of you keeping war of culture shock slash therapy. I'm gonna stop monologuing here so you all can enjoy today's episode, but it is very scatterbrained. Three insane people all talking. But we have a great conversation, some good insight, and have some laughs. I especially think if you have ADD or know people in your life with ADD, you're gonna get extra out of today's episode. So without any interruptions, without any further sponsorship or ads. Enjoy this entry and culture shock therapy. Thank you so much. Gentlemen, not gentlemen, I can't talk, I'm sorry. I'm a host, yes. And you're on Culture Shock slash Therapy. It's your boy, Mr. Lovely, and we have here... Hey everyone, it's Harmony Parker, Provost, uh, certified specialist with all things uh, wrong with your brain. All things wrong with your brain. We're uh, We're trying to... Trying to get some uh, ex criminals on the on the podcast because the the true crime market is, is bursting right now. So if you know any former serial killers uh, who'd be willing to talk about their past misadventures, just send them our way, and we'll unpack that and we'll uh, we'll get into that. We're not afraid of that, right, Mister Love? No, no, we're not. No, no, we don't shy away from that. And okay, yeah, okay, we're going to like record some of the sessions and we're going to paywall it on Patreon, but like. <laughs> Like we're not doing it for the profit. We're doing it to really help people. As like honest, honest to God, licensed therapists, we want to be there for you, America. We're we're withholding like an actually like amazingly produced five star podcast, but it's behind three paywalls. Only only the top subscribers are going to get to hear a good podcast. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to be homeless. Oh boy. <laughs> oh man, but. 
without a further ado, we have an amazing guest here. She is a wonderful comedian, a wonderful TikToker. We have the lovely Katie Stone. How you doing? Hi, good. Thank you for thank you for having me on. It's the first time I've been referred to as a TikToker. Although I don't think it's inaccurate. Um, I am just I'm 32 years old. Uh, <laughs> how are you guys? How are you doing? How are you feeling? Um, we're super happy to have you on. I think I've been following you on Twitter for like seven years or something like that. Yeah. Uh, when when my boyfriend asked me what what podcast I was doing, I was like, um, you don't know him, but we're Twitter friends, actually. We've yeah. been Twitter friends for a while. Um, yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I get a I get a notification whenever whenever uh you, you make a joke. So this is cool that we actually get to we actually get to talk uh, and uh, get to learn more about you. As someone who sees my tweets before I delete them, you actually probably <laughs> have more insight into my mental health than my parents. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, those those drafts that are up for like twenty <laughs> seconds. Um, uh, before we get started into you know asking you about your journey with mental health and where where you come from, um, there is um. I believe a movie you recently saw that that you that you were uh, you were impressed with it. Oh yeah, uh, they just asked me um, what what had gotten me excited lately, and I was t- telling them about this movie. I feel like most women of my demographic have seen it. It's called "But I'm a Cheerleader." It was released in 1999, and it's like this camp classic type film about kids who get sent to a like a queer conversion camp um rupaul is the male adult lead and he's pretending to be straight uh and then um like the character is i'm not that's not just what i say when (laughs) gay men act (laughs) but (laughs) uh yeah it was just really i don't know it's like there aren't that many things oh well okay i'll make it relevant to the universal sorry i'm like how do I make this not boring? Um, I've been thinking a lot about how when I was younger, I loved like all of these like campy teen movies. Like I loved uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous is one like Kirsten Dunst did all these like really ridiculous films. Um, and I was always kind of taught like that's girl stuff. It's not good. Like capital G um, film class good. And as I get older, I've been my movie taste. I'm like, I liked this shit. And it was good. And I watched But I'm a Cheerleader. And I was like, I would have liked this. And it is good. Anyway, uh, a lot of, you know, internalized shame about girly taste. Not a, not an issue. Uh, is it the kind of movie you wish you saw when you were, um, like, when you were the age where you could be in a coming-of-age movie? <laughs> I'm really curious. I feel like I had, like, I didn't have... This is not for for lack of trying, probably. I don't know. I didn't have any queer friends until I was 22 because I didn't know anyone out in high school or college. Um, Well, I guess I had, like, acquaintances in college, but they were, like, not from my friend group or whatever. Um, And so I wonder if I had had more introduction to queer culture as a younger person because it has, like, it is something that's, like, allowed me to unlock parts of myself as an adult uh i don't know i feel like it's helped me shed a lot of internalized 
misogyny to be like anyone of any gender likes this like gender is a con you know what i mean i don't know yeah absolutely um you mentioned you didn't have a ton of like uh queer friends growing up who were who were out um can i ask like uh where, where are you from are you from a more like conservative area originally before you moved to la yeah uh i'm from one of the many counties that voted blue for the first time in the georgia senatorial elections this year um so when i moved oh my gosh i was just looking at demographic maps from my high school and it's very funny because uh you know i don't know like my parents are white my mom's pretty progressive but my dad is not and i was looking at it and when we moved to our my hometown it was like 89% white and now it's like 17% white um so it was like urban sprawl just kind of like i don't know changed all the demographics while we lived there so it's it's kind of crazy i moved i li- i like was i when i was 5 i lived in a different town than my parents live in now but it is the same town if that makes sense a lot yeah. of bosnians um loved all my bosnian friends i was very close with them anyway uh where was i going with this oh yeah yeah yeah. but so but yeah there were like people weren't it we were still in this middle range where people weren't really like chill with there was there was one gay guy at prom and he brought a date and i think they got kicked out because they were humping each other on the dance floor and at the time i was like ew gross why do they have to that's weird and then but just because watching anyone hump is weird and now i'm like i wish i could have gone back and cheered them on because i'm sure they were doing that just to say fuck you guys for staring at us anyway um i'm rambling a lot i'm sorry i did take my adderall this morning uh, oh I'm, I'm i'm so glad you mentioned uh add we're uh uh, Mr. Lovely and I record an episode with one of our friends who has ADD and we all just kind of like made each other worse to put it bluntly <laughs> and like we're gonna have to edit the 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 hell out of that episode but it's like <laughs> yeah um it's like uh do you have any thoughts before we ask you about uh, more about your background like on being a grown-ass adult with ADHD I saw a tweet this morning that was like yeah, this shit isn't really like funny or, or cute anymore. It's just kind of like I'm actually affected by this. I I could be in a different place if I didn't have ADD. Uh, tell us your uh, your thoughts on that. Um, I did have a I I'm sure we all have th- like because you you do. I didn't even realize I had ADHD until I was in my 20s, and then like every doctor was like, "How did you not know? You were visibly like because I because of the H part, I have like twig." fidgety twitchy things and uh like i can't hold i can't hold the line conversationally um so it was interesting to be like oh i thought this was made up but everyone can see it in me that's exactly the same we can talk about that's how how everybody else was like you thought everybody just had the symptoms of bipolar 2 disorder (laughs) and i was like yeah i did i read the books and i was like sometimes you're happy sometimes you're sad everyone feels that way (laughs) but but anyway all that to say uh but i did function you know i learned to function with it and the only time i get really really mad is when i lose things while i'm using them like if if i'm using my apple pencil and i go to the bathroom I did not think about where I sat that Apple Pencil down. And then the second I put it down, I started thinking about something else. I will never find it again. Sorry. That's like the stylus for your iPad when you're drawing. Um, but uh, yeah, I just realized it. But like, in my uh-huh. room, like it's the little thing in my living room. The, or like we have a really small remote. That thing is gone. Or keys. Oh, I lo- I've lost my – I lost keys for 
eight months one time. I lost keys for a month one time. It's I'm I can lose anything in any amount of time. Do you guys experience that? Uh yeah, speaking of keys, like yesterday I was so ashamed because like my my uh my father's had to make me like 10 plus keys for his house um <laughs> the house i'm in now which i've lived in for less, less than six months I, I i think i lost that key but i was so like ashamed to admit i lost another key i legit like was just like outside of the house for an hour just because like to me like doing that was better than like admitting like yeah i, I haven't got better at this I'm, <laughs> I'm actually getting worse i'm losing more keys just wait until the early onset uh, Alzheimer's kicks in, then my memory is gonna be like fucking toast. Do you, I and like all memory. I didn't realize that like all memory is impacted by ADD. I guess because we don't sit in the moment for a sec before we move on. Uh, and so yeah, their friends will tell me things I said, and I'm like, I said what? I don't no memory of that, sir. I believe you because this happens all the time. <laughs> but um. Mr. Lovely, yeah, uh, it's he- uh, it's it's really strange, uh, especially um, at my well, I'm now unemployed, but at my previous job where I'm trying to help the customer and they ask me a question and I'm like, oh, oh crap, I oh, should not this again. Oh, I forgot, <laughs> bad employee. Oh god, I'm sorry. What was that again? And you can tell they get visibly upset and it's like, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I have mental problems, but uh, it's 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 strange, like being this like 26 year old like dude but at the same time i have like the memory and attention span of like a five-year-old it's oh <laughs> uh, yeah it's tough uh katie does your um does your co-host like um does she like tend to like anchor things and then you will go on like tangents or do you guys both like feed into each other's uh energy attention wise mm, um yeah, that's a good question. Well, he's an actual therapist, so he's oh. like better at uh, maybe like questioning and listening just by trade. Um, I try to keep up. A lot of the time we do just the two of us. So, okay. uh, yeah, it's just kind of talking back. We'll sometimes do like – we'll do episodes about themes. So we'll like pick a specific topic ahead of time and do a little bit of research on it and both come to the table with something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So he, he's he's a true uh, professional. So y'all, you guys have, have that balance whereas uh, Mr. Lovely and I have talked about like we, we kind of need that because uh, – uh, th- uh, Katie, I think you listened to an episode that was like, I'd say by far, like our most unfocused episode, uh, <laughs> it was the episode with, uh, Keon, Mr. Lovely. Um, oh, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we, we need a planner. We need, we need, we need an agent. We need, we need something. <laughs> yeah. Um, the ca- calendar is a great start, but, uh, clearly that's, that's, uh, do you have any, um, unofficial tips katie for like holy shit this this was a game changer for my attention span oh i i guess i let myself do the like well i have to go on walks all the time i have to go on walks every two hours or i can't concentrate and i i do follow like if i don't want to be sitting where i am i move to another place and sit there uh but really i mean i started taking focus meds last year 
They don't even help that much because they do just set you on a forward moving train of whatever you happen to be looking at when it hits. Um, but uh, that that's the only thing I've done that like actually made any difference. Um, what about you? Mr. Lovely, uh, is part of why you like uh, going on locks as well for the same reason? I, I don't think I've ever asked you. Um, for me going, um, going on walks, I was like, yeah, yeah. Since I, I have that like dog attention span slash energy, I feel like I have to let it out sometimes and walking helps me focus my mind. I'm able to, um, write more or like think about writing. I, I think about ideas better versus like when I'm actually at a desk, I can't think about shit. Like I'm just thinking about Digimon, Dragon Ball Z, Dave uh, Chappelle, all at all at the same time. It's crazy. But whenever I walk, I'm able Wait, to focus. Wait, was thought. the last one you said, Dave Chappelle? <laughs> that, that's that. That's that ADD for sure. Uh, I think there's a little lag going on on my end. I think that's what happened there. But yeah, that's that ADD shift for sure. Yeah, because um, you 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 go on walks like frequently as well, Mister Lovely, and I'll be like in the house straight haven't looked outside for like 48 hours and i'm like i'm like holy shit how he, you like going outside and, and that that same same applies to uk so it's interesting how like there's spectrums of add to where to like i'm i can't like focus myself enough to even like fucking schedule a walk i'd rather just like stare at the carpet and play with the fidget spinner or something yeah <laughs> play with some bottle caps that's even i mean i think that that like gender yeah i'm, I'm definitely a uh a lot of people like i guess growing up like they're surprised when i tell them i have add they assume i'm like super calm super focused but it's like no i just like i'll stand still but my my brain is a fucking uh train without a conductor yeah. <laughs> um you know I've, I've zoned out in the middle of while i'm recording podcasts it hasn't happened yet oh, yeah. we're uh we're, 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 the boxes are checked so far, but yeah. Um, do you have a thing, Katie, where you'll like, <laughs> if you're talking to someone, even if it's like a really interesting conversation, if it's like over like 20 minutes at some point, you're just oh, yeah. going to like, oh shit, I, I, I'm not listening to you. I'm sorry. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, a lot of the time I'll like go to the bathroom to wake myself up. I'll like, if I notice I'm zoning out, I'm like, I need to do something else for a minute. <laughs> And come back. Yeah. Um, but absolutely. No. Having to tell people that you weren't listening for a second is awkward. Yeah, yeah. Because they assume like, okay, I'm, I'm boring. I guess there's something more interesting you're thinking about. <laughs> like, Do you no, have the worst was, time that ever happened? completely out of my control. <laughs> I've been on dates and like, I really like you, but holy shit. Like the last five minutes is a blur. Yeah. Uh, this- oh, most definitely oh i I have that so bad (laughs) like like even when i'm like in the few times i've gone to therapy like they're talking about yeah you might have some mild adhd i just hear womp 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 you know it's 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 very strange like back in school i tried many remedies i tried tea i tried a coffee um and, and other things, but like I, I didn't really realize. Oh, wait, I'm not normal. I have a disorder. <laughs> That's why I'm like zoning out in class or in like uh, you know com- uh, intimate conversations and stuff like that. Shit, need some help for sure. Yeah, I'll um, 
I'll have so so much trouble, like, even if I'm on, like, an amazing date listening to someone. Like, I can't pay attention for longer than 15 minutes. But, like, meanwhile, if there's something I'm supposed to do, I can listen to, like, three different conversations behind me at the mall. Like, listening to their drama and shit. I'm, I'm picking up on every word. I'm focused as hell. So, it's, like, I think a big part of, like, ADD is, like, uh sort of like when you're given something in front of you you just like you're gonna pay attention to something else just just like what you said about being in front of a desk uh mr lovely it's like holy shit this is like i uh you know i write stories and shit uh all the time i write fiction but i'm I'm not someone who like okay here's my laptop and now it's writing time like like that that's guaranteed to be a disaster waste of time yeah <laughs> i can't do it that way katie uh do you feel comfortable talking a little bit about your background you say you come from georgia that's where that's where we're based too mm-hmm. um like uh what was your journey like from georgia to la and uh did that affect your mental health at all uh moving places like that yeah um so uh, yeah i'm from georgia i moved to new orleans for college and then I actually spent my junior year of college. I, I spent 11 months in a direct exchange program in Germany. And then um, I, when I, when I graduated, it was right after the 2008 financial crisis. So I just looked, Austin had the lowest employment rate and unemployment rate rather in the country at the time. Um, so I kind of just made this slow westward pro- progression until last January when I moved out here um but I guess one thing is so I yeah I do have I have bipolar 2 disorder that was diagnosed at like age 27 um and so I was having these like major depressive episodes uh like kind of in a climate that didn't necessarily talk about depression um so when I moved to New Orleans, I had a major depressive episode. And then, like, the first summer that I had to go, like, really go spend at my parents' house after I graduated, I had another depressive – like, anytime I changed locations. And then when I moved to Germany and then when I moved to Austin, those were all, like, periods where I got, like, really down. And my – It's like a pattern that like my parents will talk about. They're like, oh, you're moving. Make sure you like your meds and have activities and don't do the same. You know, like they're supportive. They they know that I'm going to get depressed when I move somewhere, which didn't happen here. Um, But that's the only big thing that it it maybe drew attention to symptoms more immediately. You discovered like uh, generalized. I don't know for certain off the top of my head, do you have generalized anxiety or depression as well? So bipolar two is um, basically it's the, it's the depression heavy version. You don't have as high of, of manic symptoms, um, but you do have like protracted depressive episodes every, you know, year or two. Um, so I'm not always, depressed and that's like that's even been like kind of a weird thing because i know a lot of people with depression and i'm like doesn't it eventually just end for you (laughs) um and the answer is no uh but uh so i do have that and then i have a lot of anxiety although i think a lot of that has to i have a lot of social anxiety actually that's probably but um 
usually that's my anxiety is like fully tied to whether I'm in a depressive phase or not. So um, I wouldn't say I have like generalized anxiety disorder, but uh, with your social anxiety, uh, which I have too, which is like, uh, well, I can stay inside the house for so long and not feel like I'm missing out. Um, yep. Is it to where you get more nervous around uh, strangers who you've never talked to before, or do you get really nervous around like friends who like you actually care about their opinion and shit like that? I would say it's the the people right in between. So like strangers, it, when I get up, stand up actually doesn't scare me at all unless there are people I'm afraid of judging me in the back of the room who I because I don't give a shit if a stranger judges me. I don't know who they are. And the fact that they know who I am and I don't know who they are already gives me a leg up. That that social status is taken care of. Um, but if it's like, a, like, well, I'll just keep using stand-up as a, an example. Like if it's a comic who I respect in the back of the room or a comic who I think has a grudge against me in the back of the room, then I get super anxious. But then again, like once I come through that and know someone secure again. So it's just like part. Yeah. Parties are really hard because it's always friends of friends. So people you're supposed to know, but you don't know. And you don't know if they already don't like you. You never know. (laughs) Is that, how do you feel? Is that similar? Mr. Lovely, I'll let you take this first. Uh, uh, with me, uh, and the social anxiety, um, yeah, I, I can agree that, uh, in the few times that I've performed, like it just, something takes over me. It's like, oh, well, uh, it's, it's, I think part of it is it's when you're performing, there's a structure to it. You're rehearsed it and da, 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 da. there's some security there and there's some safety there. And especially if you practice it really well, but with like, uh, actual conversations, uh, there's a random element there and that can get quite scary. And oftentimes I find that th- those situations make me more anxious versus like having to perform. Whereas like performing, like it's sort of a thrill. It's like, ah, look at me now. Like, uh, I'm out of these, like, like these like random conversations that could go awry due to my anxiety and other things, you know? For sure. Yeah. As, uh, as corny and as you know, UCB as this sounds like, uh, I started viewing as like, you know, talking to strangers since, uh, since I probably won't see them again. It is sort of like those, like, uh, really like short form improv bits for like, this could go anywhere. And then afterwards it's poof. This isn't like a storyline that's going to like be recorded or anything like that. So fuck it. Like this is going to be gone Mm. soon. Whereas, like, I'm talking to, like, um, a romantic partner's, like, dad or some shit like that. And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be set in stone. Like, how, how this, <laughs> yeah. this scene goes is going to dictate uh, how this relationship goes. This 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 isn't improv with the person that works at Walgreens. This is real life. <laughs> I relate to that. No, because I do that in social when i feel socially awkward if i can remember to i will say katie you're in an improv scene just say what your character would say like like that is for some reason less scary but once you're in a conversation with a real part like your good friend is not or like well not a, but like someone else that no i don't know like knows you and tracks your patterns it's not like yeah. you can be like well this is who i hell this is who i am now yeah this is um a slightly random thought, but like related to those friends who know your patterns and shit. 
do you ever have those friends who like you're like there's some of the closest people in your life but they'll be like you're doing really good i'm really happy for you when it's like whenever they say you're doing really good it's like you don't want to break it to them like i'm actually like uh in the underworld right now mentally it's like it's like you you know me really well uh friend and and i love love hanging out with you but like the fact that you think I'm good makes me question. Like, what, what, what do you, what do you yeah. think of me? <laughs> Most of my friends, well, I don't know if you experience this too, but because I talk about mental health a lot, um, are more okay with me saying like, "Oh yeah, no, this is not a good time." Um, but together what we can we remember about? what we said twenty what seconds ago. Ask? Yeah. <laughs> um okay let's let's piece together the the clues we have here um oh shit Um, Uh, oh okay it was my thoughts so i'm responsible for this this is uh we were talking about um talking to friends uh oh i remember what the second half was yeah okay so most of my friends don't but like i don't know I what you know we have friends who come in and out of our lives and I will say there was like a group of girls who I was hanging out with a lot for a while and I slowly realized they all did that to me like I would be like I'm literally having an existential crisis I need someone to come out to drinks with me they wouldn't reply to my texts and then when we went out as a group they'd be like I can't believe your life's going so great and I was like it feels like you're willfully ignoring yeah my communicating my feelings yeah uh, it's like yeah. I, I kind of like typically in friend groups or whatever i have that caregiver therapist role to where i'm like i'm always worried someone's not doing well and if if someone's like yeah i'm doing okay it's like okay let's let's get into this whereas like yeah like very very few friends know when like i'm actually doing shittily and it's like to a certain extent i don't blame them like it's it's really fucking hard to talk to someone who brings you joy but like they're just like objectively sad right now it's like i i I don't blame them for like willfully assuming i'm doing well uh mr lovely uh you know what i'm talking about Mm -hmm. yeah it's also um you get kind of worried about um like especially if you are like in that like therapist caregiver role you're concerned with people's feelings and them feeling good you feel sort of afraid of like burdening them with your own sadness so in a way you kind of want to keep you know being a people pleaser by essentially withholding your honest and true feelings about yourself have you ever heard of this concept god i can't remember exactly what it's called and i can try and send you a link after we're done but of the trauma triangles um so i can't remember if this is the actual name for them but the idea is okay so like two person relationships exist okay when you're like maybe it's the drama triangle that's it (laughs) it's the drama triangle but uh so like two person relationships when they are not necessarily at their most healthy there's there's different versions of this for healthy as well but like um there's a victim role and a hero role or like helper saver um and then and then persecutor is the other the other one um so basically like if somebody is relying on you for too long like either you get mad at them and you move into the persecutor role uh because you get exhausted by your role 
Or you suddenly turn it on them and you become the victim and accuse them of being the persecutor. So like you guys are always going to there's you can't stay in any one position for too long or it becomes exhausting. Um, I, well, I mean, some people mental health wise do tend toward anyway. Uh, oh. but, uh I like often put myself in the rescuer role and then like come to really resent people who are in the victim role. Um, And I would say like all of my like major conflict friendships as an adult were with somebody who needed me and I lavished care onto them at the beginning of our relationship. And again, this is like for me as a bipolar person, I'm like, this is only going to be a few months of this. And then you'll get better. And then like a year or two into our relationship, I was like, oh, it never got better. I've been giving you care or money or time in a way that is detrimental to me. And I either moved into the persecutor or the victim role. Like I became the problem. Um, this was really this is really disjointed. Did any of that make sense? Do you identify with any of it? Yeah, I, I definitely agree that uh, I think I'm like 90% of the time um, – rescuer role uh and you think that like you know that'd be like you know an awesome position but it's like it's it's like it's it's routine but it's also uh it can really fuck with your self-worth i i think like uh you think maybe you're not worth other people's time to hear about like your bad trip to Publix or some shit like that yeah um what well, are you going to say? It's invalidating sometimes yeah. too if you try because you, you'll try to start talking about that and then it kind of falls on death fears because that's not the pattern anyone's established. Right, right, absolutely, Mister Lovely. Yeah, um, I, I had to I had to really ponder on this one because uh, I've been uh, been really confused about uh, my past friendships and, and past uh, involvement involvement in social gatherings, and uh, I, I guess I can identify with the. Um, uh, with the rescue role, because like oftentimes, like uh, you know, I like to honk my horn, act like a clown, you know, make people laugh or stuff like that. But I think oftentimes that like perhaps I can I've conditioned people to view me in that way. That when I when the actual part, like the more human, like vulnerable side comes out, like it's like people don't know how to take it. Like, it, 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 am I making sense or am I? Yeah, yeah. it's the whole like, you no, know, no, you're supposed to be funny. Stop that. Stop being real. Yeah. yeah. Go, go back to showing us uh, funny five second videos on YouTube. This is what you're good at, person. Well, when you guys were talking about, I don't know, I do think that this is crazy. I do know a lot of people in comedy who fall into the victim role quite often so this is doesn't necessarily make sense but for me i feel like the things that made me a rescuer and the things that made me a comedian are the same it's like my role in the family was to look around the room see who was upset and fix it and those two like that creates this sense of responsibility but it also creates the need to be funny um it sounds like that almost sounded like what you were saying mr lovely that they were like tied for you Mm-hmm. Yeah, essentially, like I'm, I'm trying to, like, uh, I at one point, uh, yeah, I want to use my comedy to help and uplift people, and I sort of like made that my identity for a while without actually caring about the uh, parts that are essential, which are you know, you know, uh, going back to the ADHD, you know, figuring that fun thing out, and all that fun jazz. Absolutely, and like, I always feel like a weird 
like um okay i'll ask you growing up did um when did you realize like oh wait i'm kind of good at this uh joke shit like uh i'm i have a t- i have a knack for this was it like you were always that way in the group or did you grow up and then realize you know what i'm actually good at being funny yeah i don't know i think it's kind of weird for girls because you don't really see women performing comedy like i literally thought every woman in comedy was a lesbian this is so <laughs> weird to say i was shocked to find out tina fey had a husband and it was just like um so i do i looking back my mom is also very she thrives on being the funny one being the loud one and we are very similar um so i probably always had that personality where i wanted like to tell the jokes and a little bit of the attention. Um, so I have like one memory in high school of a friend like saying to me, like, do you know you're really funny? And I was like, well, I guess I really care if I'm funny, but no one's ever said it to me before. Um, but yeah, it was when I was in college and I took a creative writing class. That was the first time that I was like, oh, I am better at this than the average person. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, what exactly. If, you guys have undoubtedly uh, shared this before. Do you feel like you knew since you were a kid or um was it an adulthood thing? For me, it took it took way late like like in, in like an idealized version of myself, I would have won like the class clown superlative, but because I was so introverted and uh anxiety-ridden growing up, I you know, I kind of assumed like if you're gonna be funny, you're gonna be like Chris Farley. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I didn't really know about like deadpan comedy or shit like that. So I'm like, I'm like kind of the quiet person, so I don't really have that in me. So, um, yeah, it definitely like took me way later in life to to gain confidence that like people like it when I when I when I make jokes. Although, um, there is just that weird feeling of like when. You tell people who don't know you that like you do comedy, you're stand up, you're a sketch writer, and then th- I always think like oh, you don't you don't really seem like you'd be good at that. <laughs> you seem like you're you're too introverted to be uh, writing for SNL one day. Yeah, uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Suddenly they uh they expect you to, or it's that whole thing of like, oh, you're a comedian. Well, tell us a joke now. It's like, fuck. Uh, versus before there was sort of that nice area where like people thought you were funny but you didn't make it a profession yet so like you could still just be like ah. yeah. like sometimes i envy that guy uh at the water cooler who can like make everyone laugh but like doesn't he doesn't like have to pay the bills with this shit yeah. it's just like a he just happens to be funny and in a, in a people person this is just a plus it's not his livelihood. Well, uh, at least for me, uh, as a kid, I've always been a, a an oddball. Uh, uh, my mom uh, is a very uh, funny person. I grew up watching stand-up with her. We actually like made skits together uh, when uh, hmm. uh, I was in middle school, I think. So I've been, want- I've been wanting to do this for a while, um, but... I I share the same experiences with uh, David, whereas like I was very introverted, but like at times I would be a little, a little goofy here and there, and people would like it. Um, but overall, like I, it's only until now, honestly, that I've had the like the confidence to even like pursue it like seriously, because since I am very introverted and I'm and still trying to f- figure out this like mental health stuff out, like I've 
been a little slow on that. But like in terms of like my past interactions with people, people tend to say like, oh, you're kind of funny. You're a little goofy. Uh, like make this noise or something like that or whatever. But, but yeah, I always like uh, had the noise. inkling that I had uh, that I wanted to just, uh, you know, be goofy for a living. Katie, you mind if I ask you about um, like juggling uh, comedy and your day job and like how that affects Oh, your mental health at all? Yeah. Like, do, do, you, do you, like, actually enjoy having the day job a little bit? Or, like, do you feel like eventually you want to transition to 100% comedy? Um. Huh, well, actually, okay, so the unfortunately, the question for me right now is I don't know. Because I had just gone back to grad – I had just graduated grad school and moved to L.A. when the pandemic started. And so I've only started the career I went to grad school for – since the pandemic um so i am now i i'm a copywriter for an ad agency i'm creating ads i'm really lucky for like brands that you know um and so that part it's cool it's like my work is definitely seeing more eyes than it ever did when i performed comedy um and there is a comedy writing aspect most of the time um but before that i worked in nonprofits for like 6 years um, while I was doing comedy and I did my job and, but I also spent a lot of time. I, I would say I spent more time on comedy per week than I did on my job. One, 100% without a doubt. <laughs> I almost feel like we we're talking earlier about getting distracted at work. I almost feel like I developed my love for comedy by trying to be distracted at work. Um, you had that, this is my superpower moment. (laughs) I can use this. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's like I was always creative as a kid. And I hadn't figured out what my creative outlet was going to be when I was an adult. And I realized, I was like, there's nothing creative about my job. I could have a creative job. And then, so for the first, like, three or four years I did comedy, I was like, I want to get good enough to be famous. Um, But I can... That made me really unhappy. So I no longer like have a goal of becoming a professional comedian. I don't even really have a goal of becoming a TV writer, which I think for a lot of copywriters in LA is their secret goal. Um, because, well, I, I'd i like to work on – if I want to work on a pilot or a spec script because it sounds really fun to me, I don't think that's out of the question. But if I'm telling myself, like, you have to be doing this rather than following whatever the thing that makes you want to be creative is right now, does that make sense? Like, when once you tell yourself you have to do this specific comedy project, it's not your passion project anymore. It's working towards a goal. And yeah. so that's how I have a TikTok because I'm like, I want to make this dumb thing right now this second and have a billion people watch it and give me their feedback. Um, <laughs> Katie, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm afraid – your insurance company only paid for the allotted time. We're going to have to wrap up this therapy session. But every episode of the show, we try and do a last minute question segment where we ask you these hard hitting psychological questions, get in your brain before you leave today. Uh, Mr. Lovely, which one of us is going to go go first with the question today? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go first this time. All right, uh, Katie, I'm curious. Um, how has like uh, getting into comedy, um, getting into your creative work? How has that uh, affected uh, your 
personal life or like how has like whenever you explain like oh hey i'm a comedian like how do people normally react uh i i would say like socially it's shifted my i i think you guys probably feel the same way i now don't have that many friends who aren't also comedy performers because it changes your lifestyle entirely um, I had a really solid group of girlfriends who I hung out with all the time before I started comedy. We're still friends because I loved them so much, but they hang out without me all the time because they're just like, we don't even, we shouldn't even text Katie. She's too busy. Um, so I'll go to their weddings and I'll be there. But like on the day to day, they don't necessarily think of me anymore. And that's, okay. that's, I had to become okay with that. Um, I usually don't tell people until uh, I think there's a reason that I do comedy. Um, my coworkers have usually known. I mean, as you know, it's um, it's like part of my professional portfolio, and it has gotten me the jobs that I've had in advertising, um, which is nice. I mean, I had to have the like necessary part, but it was always the something extra. Um, but yeah, I I kind of avoid telling people, to be honest. Uh, unless I mean like I meet a lot of people through connections through comedy then they already know and they already have a friend who does that so it's like not interesting to them do, do you get you do you lead with it <laughs> <laughs> right yeah do they really need to know this at family functions yeah. even when I was trying to be a professional comedian people would ask me what I did uh, and I would say I work in marketing for a nonprofit. no elaboration um, unless it was my cool uncle who I did throw up on on the way home from a Stone Drunk Sober show one time. Uh, I have no idea. Um, since you moved to L.A., you've been there since the pandemic. What are like some of your earliest gut reaction culture shock moments where you're like, oh, holy shit, what are they doing here? Okay, or has is- it been a smooth transition from Austin to L.A.? There's two things I noticed, and they're both annoying to say. Because everybody says them because they're fucking true as shit. <laughs> okay. Also, okay. So I learned to drive in Atlanta and then I lived in New Orleans and then I lived in Austin. Those are all different kinds of crazy drivers. Every city has a problem. In Austin, people do not use their blinkers or let you in if you have your blinker on because it's not a language they speak. Um, <laughs> but in LA, it's entitlement. They are the most entitled drivers. They will cut you off. If the more expensive the car, the more likely they are to cut you off, the more likely they are to like do something in front of or behind you that would make you swerve. Um, and then one time someone honked at me for not running a red light. Just like people are in a hurry and they're going to be dicks about it. The other thing is nobody. Okay. No, that's not true. No white people in the service industry are kind. Like you go to coming from the South, you go to get a coffee and someone goes, what'll you have? Here's your change. It's like, okay, (laughs) wow. But I mean, like you go to a Mexican restaurant and people are friendly. It's just like, okay, this is, you guys have too much money. I don't know what's going on, but you shouldn't be a barista. Okay. Sorry. I'm rambling. Oh, wait. So are you saying the people service industry workers will encounter or like the baristas themselves can be super entitled and not kind the baristas themselves um there are obviously yeah there are like really horrible rich people in line all the time but specifically service workers who you kind of think of as getting paid to be nice to you are not at all yeah 
but specifically white like white entitled people like are like you should be lucky to have this matcha latte is, is there a place you've been to and you had like multiple passive aggressive encounters with the service workers and you're like yeah i'm not coming back here well, yeah, probably. Although yeah. now that I'm saying this, the, the last experience I had like this before we all went into quarantine and I mostly order coffee from a pickup app, but um, I drove into Echo Park, which is like trendy. Um, and <laughs> I went to a place where they charged me, I think, $5 for a vegan donut uh, because, oh, I had to kill time between two location so i'd like had to go to this coffee shop and it was insanely expensive everybody was so unkind to me (laughs) and then i think they like didn't let me use the bathroom or something at the end of i was just like everything about this was bad this nobody nobody in texas even if you if you didn't work there you would do more for me (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean um this isn't sorry i don't like feel like people need to be treat me like the queen all the time but it's just like okay this is weird yeah there's that weird like power dynamic with certain obviously like more power to service workers i'm probably gonna have to do that shit soon i've already done it but like when someone is like unkind to me i get afraid like oh i can't really give them attitude back or they're they're gonna fuck with my food it's like i'm gonna have to it's like you almost have more of an obligation to be kind back than to a kind waiter it's like Oh, shit. They have the upper hand now. Let me be clear. I am always nice to service workers. If right. you're mad, it makes me feel sad inside. But also, I know that you might have had, you might be having a bad day. There could be any number of reasons you're mad at me. I just yeah. am unhappy now. Um, yeah. So I to be it's not this isn't good news for people who give great service. But I do just tip as much as I feel comfortable with, like financially for myself every time, regardless of especially during the pandemic it's like buddy you're getting 25 percent, even if you'd spit in my food Uh, right (laughs) yeah would you ever go back to work in a service industry type job or are you are you on that fuck that shit train no i no i i at this point i have a master's degree in a creative field so that hires which is kind of why i did it uh so i i don't think i would i i really like stability and that's probably why <laughs> i decided not to become a professional comedian <laughs> awesome awesome uh any final thoughts for uh, a wonderful patient mr lovely uh no, I, I think we're pretty good here awesome yeah. awesome katie we're gonna uh, allow you to use this time you can plug and promote all your social media, all your comedy content, some things people can look forward to. You. Where, where can the listeners find you? Yeah. Um, so weekly I host a podcast live. Or we do a live recording and then release the audio every week. We, um, Yeah, But Are You Happy is the name of my mental health podcast that I record with therapist Lane Ingram. And that runs on uh, twitch.tv slash TV um wednesdays at 8 central and then we release that audio every friday morning um sorry that was like really rambly way to say that Uh, (laughs) but during the pandemic it's like why would i just release audio when i have to record it over zoom anyway um and then uh oh yeah uh follow follow me on stuff i'm at katie stone 42 on twitter and instagram and then at katie stone makes on tiktok 
yeah thank yeah. you for having highly me. recommend uh twitter and tiktok consistent bangers if you guys <laughs> want to laugh uh katie there was actually a shitload of stuff i wanted to ask you about didn't have time to get to <gasps> oh, no. so we might have to bring you back into the offices uh schedule a follow-up appointment at a later date if you that is it unless you were terrified by this therapy experience <laughs> which has happened before <laughs> no it's fine i'm sorry if i rambled too much to get to all your questions Oh no, no, not at all. We will, uh, we will, we will, we 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 wrote down notes, and we're gonna keep those notes for 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 next time. With that being said, this has been Culture Socks Less Therapy. I am Harmony Parker Provost. It's me here, me here, Mister Lovely, <clears throat> with oh me, Katie yeah. Stone. That's right. <laughs> Hope you guys enjoyed your free therapy. We'll see you next time. Thanks.